0: What's all this? We're going to uh, look at three different types of folks, three different heart temperatures that uh, Scripture makes clear are true uh, in uh, in the church and in each and every one of us. Uh, when the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, took on human form, was born in a Bethlehem barn. Uh, it's pretty clear there was different reactions to the newborn King and we're gonna look at that together today but before we jump into Matthew chapter 2 if you have your Bible go to the book of Revelation because I want to show you something Uh, it's real clear there that there are three very different responses to Jesus and uh, Matthew uh, is gonna show that but I want to start in the book of Revelation slide down to verse 14 we'll put it up here on the screen here's what what Jesus says and Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea Jesus is talking today to the church at Walloon here's what he says to the angel of the church in Laodicea right probably to the pastor believe it or not Uh, maybe uh, most of us aren't angels but this one was anyway uh, these are the words of the amen the faithful and the true witness the ruler of God's creation Okay. So he's talking about himself, Jesus is. And here's what he says, verse 15. I I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you, I'm about to spew you, I'm about to vomit you, let's get real gross here, uh, out of my mouth. Those are strong words, okay? Risen Christ, three heart temperatures. We'll look at those today in the story in Matthew chapter 2. But three possible heart temperatures towards Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, He says, there is what I would call the icy cold. I I don't want anything to do with Jesus. No, thank you. I'm doing fine on my own. That's the cold heart. There, there is the lukewarm heart, uh, I'm okay, uh, I'm kind of religious, I'm, I'm semi-spiritual occasionally, a uh, little warm, a little tepid, pretty comfortable, uh, I'm, I'm doing okay. And then there's the, uh, the hot chair, I'm all in, whatever it takes. Lord, you make it clear, whatever, whatever you want me involved in, whatever you want me a part of, I'm all yours. I'm yielded, I'm surrendered, I'm full of your spirit, I'm all in. Just just give me the word, I'm yours. Three possible heart temperatures towards Jesus Christ. And here's what's interesting when you go to Revelation. He, he says, I would prefer that you're just honest uh, and, and if you're not going to live in the first chair, I just assume you just be honest and admit it. You just, just be here. I'd rather you be, he says it clearly, I'd rather you either be cold or hot. Uh, this chair makes me sick to my stomach, is what Jesus says. It's really what he's saying. This, this, this chair makes me want to puke when we're living this way. So we'll talk about that today. Uh, it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge not to live here. And especially church people, That this, this is the chair we got to fight to avoid. Okay? Matthew chapter 2, three heart temperatures are modeled here. And we're going to read verses 1 through 12 out loud together. You up for it? If you're able, stand with me. Let's read together. Very familiar words, but uh, we're going to look at it. And and you see if you can't identify which heart temperature you are here today. Read with me, please. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, they return to their country by another route. Let's pray. Lord thank you for uh, recording through Matthew exactly what you wanted us to know from this story. Thanks for getting these words down and Lord we recognize they're inspired but they're also really familiar. So would you help us Lord to uh, break through the familiarity Lord And Lord, help us to see it very clearly, how it applies to us. It's powerful, Lord, that you sent your son, the second person of the Trinity, to come and pay a debt that we couldn't pay, and that he was willing to come and take on human form and pay for us a debt that he didn't owe. He did that on our behalf. Lord, as we look at these three heart temperatures would you help us to see exactly which chair we're in this morning? We want to hear from you. We invite you, Lord, to show us very clearly what it is you have in mind. And Lord, we, uh, every Sunday we invite you to come and settle in and take charge of our hearts and our minds, our souls, our wills. Would you do that once again today? We yield, we surrender to you. And if there's sin that we haven't dealt with, Lord, uh, enough of the pretending, enough of uh, ignoring and excusing, Lord, we're going to call it what you call it. It's sin, and we confess it, and we're asking that you might wash and cleanse and purify us. Make us ready to hear and respond what it is that you have to say to us here this morning. We welcome you today in your church, Lord. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice, Amen. You can be seated. The characters uh, that are here that we just read in Matthew chapter 2, they really do mirror almost exactly the three heart temperatures that Jesus talked about in the church at Laodicea. Uh, Third chair, King Herod, the Roman ruler at this time. We're going to talk about him in a moment. Uh, Second chair, uh, chief priests and uh, the scribes and teachers of the law, Um, and they were the Jewish leaders at this particular time. And then in the first chair, the hot chair, we see the magi, the wise men, the ones who had come from afar, come from the east, and, and we'll talk about them a little bit uh, in just a couple moments. Um, King Herod, (laughs) let's talk about him. Uh, King Herod uh, was uh, certainly um, an interesting fellow. Uh, King Herod, um, he um, was a really fine tax collector. King Herod was probably one of the best tax collectors ever. That's the danger. You sometimes put your notes in the wrong stand. There you go. Uh, okay. I figure, can I do this and no one will notice? No, you're going to notice. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Okay. He's 70 years old when this took place. Okay. Uh, he ruled Israel on behalf of Caesar Augustus. Okay. Uh, he's best known for building the temple. And any guesses? What do you think he would name the, the temple? What was it known as? It was known as Herod's temple. Okay, so if he was going to build it, make sure it happened, and finance it, it was going to be named after him. It kind of gives you a little bit of a glimpse about what kind of guy he was. Uh, Josephus, he was the Jewish historian, and, and we were blessed. He wrote notes, and he told us about what was going on at the time of Jesus. Here's what he said about Herod. He said, great administrator. He was good at organizing, and he kept peace. He was a law and order guy. We we would like him in that way. He was a gifted speaker. He could talk and give speeches and debate and and you didn't want to argue with Herod because usually you were going to lose. He was a great tax collector. That's why Caesar Augustus really liked him because he was really good at squeezing the most money out of all the people Uh, and finally he was a guardian of his turf. If there were any bad guys, anybody who wants to come in, uh, you didn't mess with Herod. Uh, He beat up and uh, destroyed lots and lots of bad guys. So that's the positives. (laughs) What's the downside? He was also, according to Josephus, insanely jealous. If anybody was looking better than him, he hated it. He was always threatened. He was always thinking, they're trying to kill me. They're trying to take my place. And later, Josephus says, come to find out, he he was pretty much right. He he was always uh, being plotted against. People always wanted to overthrow him. So he's suspicious, and he was suspicious especially with his family. Um, He murdered his wife, Miriam, because he thought, "I I think she's trying to kill me and then he murdered his mother, Alexandra. Can you imagine? So he murders his wife, he, he, he kills his mother. Why? Because he was pretty sure they were gonna to try to kill him. And then he executed his two sons by his wife, Miriam. Because he's thinking, you know what? They're gonna to try to take revenge on me, and therefore I'm gonna kill them first before they get me, okay? Uh, five days before he died, He had a third son, and he said, you know what? I really don't like him either. And he had his third son murdered five days before he died, okay? Um, On his deathbed, he knew he was going to die. He realized, Jerusalem's going to cheer. They hate me. He realized that no one liked him. He, He was effective, but he was hated and despised. So he said, I don't want them cheering and celebrating at my death. So here's his plan. Ready? Tells you a little bit of what kind of guy he is. He ordered hundreds of the most loved and respected officials and, and people that everybody knew and loved and held in highest. He arrested them, and here's his order. At the moment you hear, I'm dead, I want those hundreds executed. I want them killed uh, because I want proper mourning for me. And I know they won't mourn for me, so therefore I'm going to make sure there's lots of mourning in Jerusalem. He ordered them all executed. Thankfully, the guy who was next in line said, no, no, we're not going to do that. But that was his order. I want tears, I want sorrow when I die. And I'm going to guarantee it by killing hundreds of people. To make sure there's lots of mourning and proper proper uh, going on tears at my death. Isn't he a nice guy? <laughs> so that's the background a little bit. You understand? So when the wise men, go back to Matthew 2 with me, come in to Jerusalem. And now the wise men come in. And uh, you see in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 2... Uh, I want you to tell us where the king of the Jews are, you understand that's not a good question. This guy's insanely jealous. He's paranoid. Everybody's out to get me. And now these officials from far away are asking where the king of the Jews is born? Are you kidding me? And he says, "Uh, why don't you come back and tell me where he's born and then I'll go and worship him. And we know that's a lie Uh, because when he realized that the wise men didn't come back and tell him exactly where this newborn king was born, you know what he did? He killed all the little boys all around the vicinity of Bethlehem. (laughs) You you want to make sure that nobody's going to take my place? Nobody's going to be the king of the Jews. I'm the king of the Jews. So he slaughtered all the little boys all around Bethlehem. I'm telling you, this guy had a cold, angry, jealous heart. And I know some of us are thinking, well, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know anybody this awful. I, I'm just telling you, in our old, sinful, selfish flesh, Ron, we have capabilities. We, we can get real ugly. Just live that way for a while. And after a while, you're going to be real cold, real hard-hearted, and that's exactly uh, the next group of people that I want to talk about um, are the chief priests and the scribes the teachers of the law if you uh, see in your Bible it's Matthew chapter 2 and verse 4 now they would be the chief priests and they'll come into the scene later in the Gospels there's the high priest that was Caiaphas and Annas uh, Jesus would be appear before them 33 years later and um, they were the Sadducees. They, they were the high priests. They controlled the sacrifices. They controlled, when people came into town to make sacrifices, they owned all of the franchise. Do you understand? If you wanted to come in, you had to buy an animal from their franchise. You had to exchange money with their franchise. They were wealthy. They were powerful. They oversaw everything that went on in the temple area. okay, And uh, you'll see in John chapter 2 what Jesus thought about them when he goes right in to start his public ministry. You remember what he does when he goes first of all into the temple area, what does he do? He starts flipping over all of, all of the tables and, and the animals and, and the changes flying everywhere. And if that's not interesting enough, uh, later on when he closes his public ministry, Matthew chapter 21, Any guesses what he does a second time? He goes back in and he cleans and clears out the temple. No, no, that's not what this is supposed to be a place of prayer and focus on Jehovah God. And he flips over and just makes a mess of the high priest's turf, if you will. Okay? Now, that's the high priest. Go back, it says he goes to the high priest and the teachers of the law. That would be the Pharisees. Do you remember the most well-known Pharisee? Remember his name? He was called Saul first, but later on, he met the risen Christ, um, and his name became, what was it again? Paul. Paul. yeah. Paul was a Pharisee, and he led the charge. He was an enforcer of the law. Uh, he hated these followers of Jesus, okay? So you need to understand that, that's exactly who uh, these chief priests and teachers of the law were. They, they, hated, they hated this Jesus and they plot and, and they work together. In John 11, verse 47, remember Lazarus rose from the dead and now suddenly, uh-oh, we got a problem on our hand. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the chief priests come together and they plot and they band together. We're going to destroy this Jesus. So the people that Herod's turning to eventually they're going to band together and they're going to go and they're going to try to kill Jesus Christ and they do that on the cross. Uh, Verse 4, here's here's why they're important here. Herod says uh, bring bring, uh, the Jewish religious leaders in here. Yeah, bring the priests the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. I got a question for them. Hey, guys, um, you've got your masters and doctorates. You guys are really smart. I have a question. Where in the Old Testament does it say the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ is to be born? And they answer, you know, why don't you give us a hard question? (laughs) Why why don't you give us one that we have to really look up and think some? Because that's really easy, Herod, and instantly Micah 5.2 comes out of their mouth. They say Micah 5.2, Bethlehem, and they quote word for word, perfect from memory, the prediction from Micah 5.2 to Micah 5, excuse me, 5.6, okay? And that, this was written down 500 years before Jesus was born in the Bethlehem barn. Do you understand? 500 years. So now they're telling him exactly where this, this Messiah is to be born. They were the religious elite. They were, were the smart guys. They knew everything about the Bible. They had memorized, many of them, the entire Old Testament. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Myron, quote for me, Malachi 3.7. Boom. You know, just, and you could just do it because you had the entire Old Testament Memorized. So, now this caravan has come from the east, and now they're standing before him. where's the king of the Jews? And he says, I, I don't know, I don't know this Old Testament, and he calls them in, and immediately they say, well, he's to be born in Bethlehem, that's just five, six, seven miles down the road, yeah, uh, it's, it, this is easy, you can, you can see him, he's, he's just down the road. Here's what's, what's very interesting in this text. Do you suppose these religious elites, do you suppose these really smart guys would get up and head down five, seven miles down the road and, and see if the king of kings had actually come to earth? And, and the truth is, <laughs> they weren't all that interested. They knew the Old Testament. They knew Genesis to Malachi. They knew uh, all of the intricacies intricacies of the law, but they weren't interested in actually going and seeing for themselves. Why? (laughs) Because they're in this middle chair. I'm kind of comfortable. I really am. I I know a lot. I I know exactly how to do it. I'm comfortable. I'm okay where I am in relationship to God and now this newborn king. I'm okay. You know, we'll see. Maybe something will happen, maybe not. They were lukewarm. They were tepid in their response to Jesus. Why? Because they had stuff to do, right? They were religious. They they had duties. They had schedules. They were too busy doing their stuff to worry about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords being born just down the road. It would be like, Born in Boyne City from here. Literally five, six miles down the road. I got stuff to do. Come on. You know, I'm, I'm religious. I, I have lots of people who are looking to me. I got all these things going. Final group that we uh, see here in the text. are, uh, old King James calls them uh, wise men. Uh, Your text probably says uh, Magi. Literally, it means students of the stars. We call them astronomers today, right? Um, And it says they came from the east. Well, how did they know and why did they come from the east? If you go to Daniel chapter 5 and verse 11, you'll see that Daniel back in the Old Testament, seven, eight hundred years earlier, he became the chief of the Magi in Babylon, okay, which later became Persia. So Daniel was like the head of the Magi. Why was he the head? Because he was able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. If you see that, Daniel 5. It's kind of interesting to go back. So it seems likely, are you tracking with me? We don't know this for sure, but likely Daniel passed on, there's a Messiah coming. And there's a Messiah, we know it from Micah chapter five, and he's coming, and he'll be born in Bethlehem, and you watch for the sign. You understand? And and he taught his children, and then his children taught his grandchildren and his great grandchildren, and it just kept getting passed on. And now everybody's saying, You know what? The old testament says there's there's a messiah, there's a Christ, there's a savior, he's coming, and you be watching. And now, six, 700 years later, they're still looking and their descendants are having faith in the God of the Bible and they're looking and saying, you know what? There's going to be a sign. We're going to look for a sign and the Lord is going to send God with skin on to the earth. And then they see this sign, right? What's the sign? They saw a light bursting forth brightly and you know what they do? They pack up and they head... For Israel to worship the Savior. And they were acting in faith because their great, 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 great great grandfather, Dan, he said, Be watching. And they'd been watching, and now they see the sign and they say, We got to go. So these truth seeking, God fearing Gentiles follow the star and they follow it right. To Jerusalem first, and then they follow it right on to Bethlehem. Take note, okay? As the magi encounter the newborn king, here's what they, what they come with. They, they, verse 10, they're overjoyed, they're excited, they can't wait to be with Jesus. Here's, here's my question. Is that how you feel about Jesus? When you get to go and sing and pray and talk to Jesus... Are you excited and overjoyed? That's what, what it says, verse 10. Verse 11, they bow down on their faces and they worship the child. Can you imagine? These, these were like really prestigious people, traveled a long way. In verse 11, as soon as they see the king, they're down and they're bowing down and they're worshiping and they're adoring this child. Okay? Okay? And verse 11 says they give the best gifts they own to Jesus. Very best gifts they have. It's it's yours, Lord. I I give this to you. Now think about it. What did they give up? What did they risk by traveling all the way from the east, probably ancient Persia, Babylon, all the way here to Bethlehem? The cost of travel? (laughs) It was expensive. They probably traveled months and months to get to Jesus. The risk of robbery, the risk of being missing They had to travel across several countries with different rulers and kings. They risked ticking off some king, some governor uh, who didn't understand. They probably had to give him, well, here's some money. Just, just be kind. We're just traveling through. We mean you no know, harm. Uh, and now... They give him expensive gifts. You know, they, they weren't working for months, and now they've traveled for months, and then they get on their knees and they worship Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you, these guys are all in, <laughs> whatever it takes. They risked Herod, they risked everybody. Now, here's my question why is it they were willing to risk so much to get to Jesus? You ready? Here's the answer. They were all in. They were hot. Their faith was all in whatever it takes. I'm all in. I'm yours. And they were ready to worship and follow and adore the newborn King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, what do we learn from Herod down there We've got the chief priests, teachers of the law, and, and, and the magi. Okay, what, what do we learn? Okay, um, Just because you're in this seat today doesn't mean automatically you won't slide over to this seat tomorrow. You understand that, right? The greatest challenge for us who know and love Jesus, and now we're all in, and I love him, and I surrender all... The greatest risk that we have is to sliding over here to the lukewarm seat. I'm sure that many of these priests and teachers of the law at one point in their life, they're all in. Can you imagine having the tenacity to memorize Genesis to Malachi? And now, Christ, Messiah is born? I don't think so. You know what? I don't feel like walking to Boyne City. I think, I think uh, you know, I'll listen, and if I hear something, then maybe I'll go. But, you know, otherwise, let's, uh, you know. I, I know these guys travel. I, I know that's strange, but no, I don't think so. I'm just telling you, here, here's my greatest challenge, and yours too. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's, here's our greatest challenge, is to fight daily to stay in the seat. To make Jesus the focus, the passion, the boss, the master, the Lord of your life, okay? And, and I'm telling you, this is kind of my job, right? You know, you pay me to be good. You guys are good for nothing, but you pay me <laughs> to be good. And I'm just telling you, it's hard. It's hard to stay in this seat. I would argue the mark of maturity is how often are you sitting in the hot seat in your love and your devotion. To Jesus Christ. And I'm just telling you, some days you wake up and you're just not in the mood. You have those days? You know what I'm talking about? I just don't feel that great, you know, and, and, and I'm kind of tired today. And I really don't want to talk to the Lord. I, I'm kind of busy. I got a lot going on today, and we rush into our day, and pretty soon we rush into the second day and the third day, and I'm not. I'm not worshiping. I'm not talking. I'm not eating of his word. I'm not dealing with sin. And pretty soon, give me your eyes. This seat gets pretty comfortable in a hurry. Did you know that? Pretty soon, yeah, I, I, I don't want to go be with other believers. I, I think I'll, I'll worship in my own little island and I'll be fine and I'll have... God out in the woods or on the lake or on the ski hill. Me and Jesus, we're good. We're fine. I got my fire insurance. I'm all good. I I think I'm okay here. And I'm angry at somebody. I'm not going to make that right. They're wrong. I'm pretty sure they're 97% wrong. I'll deal with my 3% when they come and humbly um, get down on their knees and ask for forgiveness for Uh, They're 97. Then then maybe, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, I'm I'm not forgiving. I'm not dealing with sin. I'm too busy. Too too scheduled to spend. That's what these guys were. They were too scheduled to spend much time and go find out if the newborn king was the real deal. We know he's the real deal. And it was nice. It was nice being down there. And I'm just telling you, pretty soon, Comfortable. this becomes your new heart temperature. And do you recall what Jesus said about this chair? He said, when people who used to be in that chair choose just to be content in this chair, remember what he said? It makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> it literally makes me sick. Why? Because you used to be all in. You were all in. You followed me. Whatever it takes, whatever, you make it clear, Lord, I'm all in. And, and now you're just doing your own thing. And, and you're religious. Please understand, these guys were religious. And they had, and I don't think anybody else knew. They thought, well, these guys are all in. Look at their robes. Look at, look at what they do. They, they study God's word and the laws all day long. But their hearts were lukewarm. And Let me give you one more danger. You ready? How many of you are moms and dads or grandmas and grandpas? Can I see your hands right now? Okay. Stay here a long time. Start getting comfortable in this chair. Any guesses which chair your children and grandchildren will wind up in? You want to raise an atheist, an agnostic? Be lukewarm. Because children who look at that and say, well, that's not real. I lived with them. I know what they were like. There wasn't much Jesus there on a daily basis. You know, you know, like one, two hours a week, and then they do their religious thing, and then I know how they treated everybody. I watched them every single day. And, and you, they see that. They see this is called the hypocrite chair in their mind. Um, you'll raise an agnostic. You'll raise an atheist. It's very sad, but it's true. Be lukewarm. It will have devastating effects on your children and your grandchildren. So, here's the question. If if you're here, and we might have some people, you really just haven't given a rip about Jesus much. okay? You might not be Herod, but you're pretty much all about me, me, me. That's really what Herod was. uh, was. Uh, Me, and I want my way, and I want it now. Or maybe you're here and the truth is you've been pretty comfortable in the lukewarm chair. How do you get back here? Because if you're in one of those two chairs, you should be asking, well, well, what do I got to do? How do I get back? If you have your Bible, go with me to Revelation 3. I want to show you. I'm happy to report that Jesus doesn't leave us wondering... He doesn't leave us guessing. I'm happy to report that he tells us pretty clearly. Verse 17 says, You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need anything, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. So this is the chair of, are you ready? Wretchedness, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. But I think I'm pretty nice. I think I'm pretty good. I'm pretty religious. And Jesus says, wrong. So the first step, verse 17, is to admit the fact that you're in a bad place. I'm lukewarm. I'm tepid. I'm comfortable. Spiritually, Jesus, I'm in pretty sad shape. That's the first step. You just got to own it. I'm in a bad chair. Second, he goes on, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Okay. So I admit I'm in a bad place. I'm wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. And now I'm willing to run and do the U-turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I need all the good stuff that only... I, I need to confess sin. I'm not going to ignore it anymore. And I'm going to ask you to come take charge and give me spiritual eyes. Pretty interesting, isn't it? We run to Jesus. Do the U-turn. And Lord, now that I'm clean and pure and I've called sin, sin. I'm not pretending anymore. Open my eyes spiritually. Make, make me see clearly. And he's not done yet. Here's what verse 20 says. Um, here I am I stand at the door and knock did you know that Jesus doesn't knock the door down when you're living here did you know that he's a gentleman and he just stands and he keeps saying Jeff wake up Jeff you're not in a good place Jeff you're lukewarm Jeff you know better and here's the sad thing the longer you ignore it the knocking gets softer and more distant. You just ignore it. Pretty soon you don't even hear it anymore. But he says, I'm I'm knocking. I'm knocking on your heart's door. He says, if anyone hears my voice, opens the door of his life, I'll come in and eat with that person and they're with me. Did you catch that? He says, I'm just going to keep knocking and I love you so much, I'm not going away. And eventually... If you'll recognize where you're at, do the U-turn, confess, get right with me, I'll come in and and I'll heat up your life. I'll come take charge again. You can come and sit in this chair one more time. Do you understand? You don't have to stay there. And and that's where the battle begins again. Oh, Lord, (laughs) I know I'm prone to wander. I feel it. I'm prone to slide right down there and be comfortable in that chair. That is the challenge of the Christian life. Do you understand? It's, Lord, by your grace, help me to stay here whatever it takes. I want to live strong for you. I want to be hot in my relationship for you. These are the people living this way who make a difference in this world. Do you understand? These are the people who see God. God says, I can use that. And he uses us to make a difference. These are the people... Who live this way and people say, you, you, don't, you don't talk any different than I, you don't think, you don't behave any different, and they're right, because I'm lukewarm, and I'm most of the time filled with Jeff, and now I'm not making a difference, and people look at this lukewarm chair and say, that's, that, that's just religion, no thanks, I, I, I don't want any part of that, it, it's, it's folks in this chair that attract people to Christ. People live in here regularly that make a difference for King Jesus. Hey, whose birthday is Christmas? Tell me, whose, whose birthday is this anyway? Why do we celebrate? Because it feels like it's all of our birthdays, right? Whose birthday is it? Tell me, who is it? It's Jesus, it's Jesus okay? And I'm telling you, if you want to give a present, the best present you've ever given the only gift that really Jesus cares about, w- would you give him the present of saying, Lord, I want to sit in the hot chair with you. I want to be all in. And once he has you here, hard no, you don't know where he's going, but it's an adventure. Anybody who tells me, ah, Christianity's boring, ah, you know what I'm, that tells me right away? If you think Christianity's boring, You're sitting here. (laughs) Because you start sitting in that chair, watch out. You you better buckle up, because here we go. And and he's going to take you places and use you in ways you never had a clue. Never had a clue. So this Christmas, would you consider giving Jesus the gift? Lord, I'm going to have to fight. Uh, It's a daily battle. Some days it's an hourly battle. But by your grace... I want to give you the gift that you really want in all of us. Stay here. And if you find yourself over here, wake up, own it, confess it, whatever sin, whatever garbage is going on that got you down there and run back here. Here I am again. Here I am. I'm yours, Lord. Use me. That's the gift that Jesus wants this Christmas for his birthday from you. You willing to give him the gift that he really wants? You know? No, don't give him socks and underwear. Give him what he wants. And that's you. All in. Let's pray. Would you be courageous enough to actually ask Jesus which chair you're in right now? Lord, would you show me? Make it clear. Make it obvious. I'm listening. Here's the fight for followers of Jesus. You're sitting in that middle chair. You're pretty comfortable. You look pretty religious. And you can sit in this chair and and nobody else much knows. No, they do know. But you think, you want to pretend they don't notice. And and you're saying, you know what, I think I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. Are you? Is it obvious to the people around you that you love Jesus? Is there evidence? Is there fruit? Here's the question. Would you be willing today to say enough? Lord, I I don't like this chair. I don't like being lukewarm. I don't like being casual and half-hearted in relationship to you. Are you willing to own up to that? You can tell them right where you're seated. Lord, it's where I'm at. And I'm ready to do whatever it takes to get over in that hot chair. I want to pray for you as we close. Anybody say, that's me today. Pastor Jeff, would you pray for me? I'd like to pray for you. If you're here in this this chair, Lord, that's where I'm at. Can I see your hands? I want to just pray for you, pray with you. Yep. Others of you, just honest. And here's the truth we all spend some time here. So you're not alone when you own up to that. Uh, anybody else? Just want to pray for you, pray with you? Yeah, It's good for you to acknowledge it and say, Lord, hey, I know. Anybody in the balcony? Uh, Lord, see my hand. That's, that's me. It's that's where I'm at. Yep. Are there others? Lord, thank you for your patience. You are so patient with us. And right now, Lord, we want to go back to your book, and we want you to know that we're grateful that you just keep knocking. You love us so much that you don't ever quit knocking at our heart store. So for all my friends who are here and they realize they've been in this middle lukewarm chair too long, you just say, Lord, you know what? I realize, spiritually at least, from your perspective, I've been wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Enough of that. Enough of that. And then he says, Jesus just says, come on, run to me. Do the U-turn. Deal with sin. If there's sin, if you got old pet sin that needs to be killed, Lord, show me how to kill it. I'm ready to kill it. If If there's something that needs to be canceled, it's going to be canceled. If there's a device that keeps dragging me to this middle chair, I'm gonna take a hammer to it. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Open my spiritual eyes, and then finally, Jesus says, I'm knocking because I want you to open the door of your life and invite me back in. That, that means he gets to be the king and the boss and the Lord. He gets to sit in the, behind the steering wheel and drive Jesus, once again, is the ruler, the king, the Lord, the master. He's your God. I'm all in, Jesus, whatever it takes. You, you show me, I'm all in. I yield, I surrender. And Lord, would you give me the desire, the tenacity, whatever it takes, help me to stay here. And, and if I find myself drifting again, Lord, I want to fight right back quickly. I don't want to just let, let myself get comfortable in that middle chair, that, that loop. I want to fight to get back here and stay here. Pray that for my friends. And Lord, the truth is, we very well might have some folks here today who are in the jolly King Herod chair. There very well might be some folks. The truth is, <laughs> they're pretty much all about themselves. It's all about me and me and me. And you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said yes to the cross. You've never invited Jesus to be your Savior, your Lord, your King. What a a great present to receive, eternal life from Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus. Yes, I realize what I'm missing. I want to be in that hot chair too. I turn and I run to you. I accept what you did for me on the cross. I praise you for your shed blood. I I worship you for rising from the dead. And right now, Jesus, I accept the greatest gift ever offered. Come and save me. Come and take charge of my life. I believe I receive. Wow. Cold to hot as you cross the bridge and say yes. Thank you, Lord. For this time of year, thank you for Matthew chapter 2 and what you show us from that. And uh, thanks that we could be here today and worship your son and celebrate with the children who uh, led us in worship of you as well. We love you. It's in Jesus' awesome and mighty name we pray.